Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Alabama, the show of tiki, Brit lit shit, the do's and don'ts of being on the road, and so much more with industry veteran Miss Steva Casey, currently working for Tiki by the Sea and doing so much more behind the bar there in Birmingham, Alabama. We talk about lots of different things here, things that you should never forget on the road, the essentials, if you will, like a phone charger and how Brit lit shit paid so much of a influential role in Steva's eloquent and yet poised articulated manner when she talks and phrases everything, frankly. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Steva Casey. Pitch it, build it to where it sounds authoritative. Yeah. You know? So it'd be like, the following shows and showtimes are available. <laughs> but I like that, right? Yeah. You know, it's weird. So when you would listen back to it, because obviously you've got to like decide on a take. Right. Did you ever say, God damn, I hate my voice? So many people tell me that when they listen back. When I listen to my voice, I mean, certainly I have an accent. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I know that I have an accent, mm. but it doesn't sound as twangy to mm-hmm. me as it does to other people. Mm-hmm. And so I've worked really hard to remove um and uh Perfect. from my yeah, from the way that I speak. Yeah. It's it's what process did you use? I try to slow down so it sounds so I sound a lot slower too mm-hmm. because I've tried to slow down how I speak in order to not have those pauses. Yeah. It's astonishing how many people that I watch speak. Yeah. Now not typically in the, the bar industry, it's actually pretty good. The ums have been eradicated, I guess you could say, but how many people that do public speaking and things and they use um as this natural transition. Right. Whereas all it really takes, just a breath. Sure. And then keep moving forward. Well, so there's lots to talk about. I know you're in town. I sure, saw you yeah. bedazzling yeah. brazier's that wonderful alliterative thing that Carly I and I was putting together. I saw some pictures of that. Obviously, Tiki Week's coming up. There's a lot of, lots to talk about. But I think the main thing here is that as a guy that's never been to Alabama, okay, are you a token Alabaman? Is that fair? I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm like, <clears throat> patient zero for <laughs> patient zero. prototypical yeah, Alabamian, yeah. but <clears throat> I definitely tried to exemplify like the best parts of Alabama. Yeah, and I know that with the amount that I travel, that I'm the glimpse that a lot of people see, especially in the bar industry. Absolutely, yeah. And so I try to be a good ambassador for my city and then thereby state. What kinds of things do you want to embody that kind of share with the rest of the states what Alabama's all about? Sure. You know, Alabama's a gorgeous place. Yeah, I've heard that. And it's very green, and there's nature all around. You have a little bit of mountains. Mm. You have the ocean if you go from the top to the bottom. Yeah. And it's a friendly place. Right, and so I want people to know that they're always welcome, yeah. Especially in Birmingham, and Birmingham's obviously a lot more liberal than yeah. the rest of the state. A little more progressive than. Have you listened to that S Town podcast? Uh oh, which one is that? It's a podcast on, I guess, on This American Life. Okay, that part of that series. Yeah. And when you listen to that podcast, and like when I listen to that podcast, I think to myself, I know these people. 
Like, I don't know those particular people, but I know those people. I know that kind of personality. That rural Alabama, like, country, more ignorant than stupid. Right. Right? And they're just ignorant of their, like, outside surroundings. Mm -hmm. And those kind of people exist in every state. Of course. Well, Texas is heavily guilty of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Florida man being a perfect, like, example of if you took... Is that as Florida man what you see in Miami? Right. No, it's a completely completely different world. So I think that's sort of like what people lose sight of and when they think about Alabama too. I think so. I mean it's one of those things where you don't think about as you use the word liberal, you don't think about progressiveness or right. progression when you think of Alabama, but you're here to say is absolutely fucking reality that people oh, yeah. are forward thinking for sure when you so you're from is it home what is, birmingham is i think where you i'm from now. birmingham okay yeah. so total i were you a literature because i know you studied english literature which i mm-hmm. think is really interesting but as a kid does that mean you were kind of writing were you reading what kind of student were you i've certainly have been reading my whole life yeah right and when I was growing up, my parents got divorced when I was really young, mm. and books were solace, so, right? Yeah. And we didn't watch a lot of television in my house. And so if you wanted an escape, and especially if you weren't going to die in the Alabama heat in July, right. you were going <laughs> to sit inside and read a book. And when my mom got remarried, there my stepdad already had two children and so two more kids came to live at our house which made it four my sister and i in addition to younger sister older sister younger i'm the oldest okay and so through that the only alone time that you got was if you were reading oh yeah because it's obviously furthering your education that's a well it's a double double purpose right full purpose right what kinds of literature were you drawn to? I know you majored in English literature, but were yeah. there other things you were, like not like a Jane Eyre or Bronte stuff? I mean, what were you? I mean, reading? I love those. I love that Victorian Edwardian, yeah, Britlet Enlightenment shit. era. Is that yeah, right? love yeah. it. Yeah, all of it. Brit shit. <laughs> yeah, love it. Um, I was in Portland recently, and I walked into a bookstore because my worst fear happened. Which is, I always travel with two books. I travel with two of these things. I travel okay. with two phone chargers, two books, two pairs of sunglasses. That's good. Yeah, you'll lose one of them right. always, right? And won't be devastated if that happens. Right. Right? So, I only had one book with me. I was doing four cities in ten days. Mm-hmm. Seattle was first. And I had a flight from Atlanta to Seattle. And about halfway through that flight, I finished my book. Uh oh. Because the book I was reading is called Red Shirts. It's just this like sci fi mm-hmm. book. Was the last like 50 pages was the first chapter of the next book he had written, but it wasn't like. Oh, weird. Okay. In this line, yeah, right? Yeah. It wasn't tied to the current book. So ostensibly, I had no other thing to read. And then I'm in Seattle, and books are my security blanket, mm. right? So I'm in Seattle for a day with nothing to read. It's horrifying to me. Mm. And I get to Portland. I go to lunch with my friend, and we part ways, and I walk to this bookstore. And I essentially walk into this bookstore, and I say, all right, look. I need a fiction thing. Mm-hmm. If it was published before 1960, I've probably read it. Wow. Give to me a book. Give to me a book. <laughs> Don't disappoint me. <laughs> and they gave me a great book. The only problem with the book, and I'm still reading it actually, um, is that it's book two in a series, yeah. and they didn't tell me that. They didn't tell you about book one? No. Oh, shit. And I'm not completely lost. Because it's sort of like reading Terry Pratchett where they go together, but they're not, you don't have to read them in chronological right, right. order. Like so, for me, it, 
I, I don't read nearly enough, but I do love movies. I always love movies. Yeah. But American Horror Story is that way? Yeah, It's for just sure. like a theme, but it's you could watch season two. You don't have to watch season right. one. So that kind of thing. We're right. not totally lost. Right. So then this begs the question. So I moved around a lot, too, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Very, very, every three years or so. Oh, wow. Like right in the middle of high school. Right in the middle of junior high. It was really, really tough. Music for me, right? So for you, the book piece, did you find that you were an outgoing person otherwise or the books both helped kind of keep you safe in a way and keep you kind of feeling protected from those other social situations i mean i've always sort of been a person that doesn't fit in Hmm. right or felt that way what 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 do you think it was about you that that was an outcast were you punk rock you know this this often sure i I went to a school, I went to like junior high at a place where it could have been the set of Mean Girls. Oh, I see. Okay. And I just don't subscribe to that on Wednesdays we wear pink shit. It's it's pointless. Right. Yeah. So it's not me necessarily trying to be an iconoclast as much as it is, or even a nonconformist as much as it is, that I just, I'm not going to participate in things I don't find appealing right of course and so i've learned how to entertain myself Mm. through that right so in junior high i was reading a lot because i didn't want to be there i see and so that was my sort of act of rebellion is i don't need to kowtow to what you want me to be in order to fit in I have this wealth of outside world that at, at your you disposal. Don't, yeah, almost. that you don't yeah. want to participate in. So it's fine. Yeah, that's a brilliant way to look at it. I mean, music's do that. It's immersive. Yeah, for right? sure. And you kind of get to go learn these things. And obviously, I mean, your vocabulary is absolutely benefited from all the reading. <laughs> just just in the brief few minutes we've been talking, you can tell that it's absolutely been an ancillary benefit of the reading. Perhaps maybe maybe <laughs> do you feel like. So movies do a good job of this, especially when we're growing up. Books do a good job of this. Do you feel like your perspective on love and romance was also horribly tainted by books, making it seem far more Oh, I mean, I have the worst love life of any one person I know. Why is that? Or not why is that? How is that? How is that? I I mean, I'm at a literal loss for words of how that is. (laughs) But it manifests itself in a way where... I'm a very honest person, yeah. right? And so I'm blunt, and I don't want to waste time. Right. I have a bunch of other shit. I got a thousand irons in the fire, right? Yeah. So I don't want to wait three days for you to call me back. Yeah. Either you want to hang out with me or you don't. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I will make time in my life for you if I think you're worthwhile mm. and I will go out of my way for those people and then once I'm once I've reached a breaking point mm. that's it no more I have zero interest in pursuing it again yeah you know well that's interesting and I didn't think we would talk about this particular piece but being someone that is very much rooted in the analog world right as I think we both grew up kind of the same way did you do you find it just remarkably sad or remarkably interesting that people can date with their phones? It's they can just super choose. weird to it's me. It's weird, right? It's super weird to me. I watch Tinder dates, you know, or oh, online sure. dates. I watch those things happen all the time. And a friend of mine was in Birmingham recently, and he was telling me about this app, Bumble. Right? Bumble, yeah, yeah. And so we're talking about it, and I said... I don't feel like I can internet date, not because I'm opposed to it, not Mm -hmm. like that I feel like there's a shame assigned to it or like any of that shit. It's because I've watched so many of those things happen. Yeah. Right? One. And then also enough people because of social media think they know things about you. Mm. Right? Like they have a preconceived notion of, of you. And especially, I use my social media to promote 
the things that I do so to promote the places that I work to right. promote the events that I do and on the internet I make everything look fun because that's what it's for yeah you can control that right the facade right and I don't feel like I'm a different person but I definitely don't put everything out there mm. right because mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's necessary yeah it makes perfect sense so people walk into the bar all the time and say, aren't you, are you Steva? Or are you still my records? Because my Instagram uh, yep, still my records. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, my name's not assigned to it. Yeah. So people will ask me those questions and then they have an idea about me based on that outlet, which I can't be mad about because you I control it. those, yeah. yeah, right. But they have an idea about me based on those things, mm. so that already happens. Do you like that? It's Get, a little weird, it, I suppose. I mean, because you, in a way, you're the media that someone could research about, right? If you wanted, you know, right. Um, it's a little weird, but it's always, or not always, but it's usually an icebreaker. Mm. They have then this air of familiarity where we can move past small talk, which yeah. is my least favorite thing in the whole world. That's good. Right? I'm, I'm right there with you. So we don't have to talk about the weather now. They have touchstones of of things they've seen. Yeah. Like last year I had a personal goal to see 100 new places. Wait, just abroad or in Alabama or wherever? Wherever. Okay. And it was 100 places that were not booze-related unless they were distilleries. Oh, I like that. So people would want to talk about it all the time. Yeah. Right? Because regular-ass people don't think they can travel as much as they could actually travel. Sure. Because of those 100 places, 40 of them were in and around Alabama. Wow. So... It's just, it's not about the availability of the places. It's about... Exposing yourself to new things, maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, expanding your mind. Right. Which I, I I like that. Do you consider yourself, I mean, obviously physically, because you're going to 100 places, but mentally, too, are you always ready to discuss things that you don't know about, that you For want sure. to learn about? For Nothing, sure. Nothing's off limit. No. That's good. I don't think so. Because I want to know. I read so much because I want to know. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. Everything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, then it makes a lot of sense that you would go to school proper for literature. Was there a big push to be that college kid where your parents saying, you know, Steve, you really need to go get a degree like many of us experience? Right. So I went to a magnet high school mm-hmm. and it was the understood that that's what that's you did. That was your next step. Mm. And so I really wanted to go to Swanee. Where, is that in Alabama as well? Swanee's in Tennessee. Okay. It's also called the University of the South. It's a great liberal arts school. And I really wanted to go to Swanee. In hindsight, I'm happy that I didn't go to Swanee mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. But in that time that I was shopping colleges, my mother was very sick with colon cancer. Mm. And so I didn't want to leave Birmingham. I understand that. Yeah. Right. So... I went to UAB, which is University of Alabama, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And because of this magnet school and because of essentially you take AP classes exclusively from 10th grade on. Wow, you saving a bit of money. I entered college as a sophomore. Wow, that's crazy. So my entire freshman year, gone. Yeah. And then the rest, most of the rest, oh, sorry. That's right. Uh, most of the rest of it was scholarship. Scholarship stuff. Wow. So. As a writer or just as a Actually, academic. academic. Yeah. I started college as an engineering major. No kidding. My father's an engineer. Mm. What's that, a mechanical, chemical? Mechanical. Um, He's a mechanical engineer without the degree. Gotcha. So when my dad was, you know, in his 20s, college was not of utmost importance. Mm -hmm. Getting a trade was. Yeah, you needed to work. So he went to draftsman school and is ostensibly a mechanical engineer. That's so crazy. And 
I love math and I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the thing we always connected about, right? And so I tried, to, I'm very pragmatic. And so I tried to be pragmatic about when I went into college, I shouldn't be an English major. Mm-hmm. Because what am I going to do with that degree? Yeah. Right. So I started as an engineering major. And because I comped out of my entire freshman year, my first math class was Cal 2. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. It's pretty, yeah. It's a little bit elevated. Yeah. And I definitely worked in high school mm-hmm. at being a student, but it, I don't have a necessarily an eidetic memory, but I have a great memory, which serves me really well bartending. Absolutely. Side note. But because I'm practically a photographic memory most of the time, studying was not a thing I did a lot because I had a full-time job in high school. What I had you, to. What were you doing? I was working at a movie theater. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So I worked 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to college and I start Cal 2, that's a job, yeah. you know, and I wasn't prepared for it. And I wasn't prepared for not being the smartest person in the room. Interesting. Okay. Was it in any way a culture shock going from, from you know, maybe the high school, which you kind of were talking about, and right. going to college and lots of different kinds of people, lots of smart people was it hard for you that transition no not necessarily because because it was a magnet school Mm -hmm. and it and it was sourced from all over jefferson county there were a lot of you didn't go to middle school with the people you went to high school with okay so you had to reform those relationships in high school anyway so going to college and because i had a job where everyone i worked with went to a different school, mm-hmm. I had learned how to form those okay, so relationships. Totally yeah. yeah. So that part wasn't really an issue. But, you know, being in those classes and really working at it and still trying to maintain a full-time job. Yeah. At 18, 19, 20, it was a lot. So... Could we consider that the beginning of the end of your academic career? No. I switched. I essentially had this conversation with myself where I said, math's always going to be a part of my life, obviously, Mm -hmm. because it can't not be. But this isn't, I don't want to sit at a desk for the rest of my life. Mm. So how? what are we going to do? To achieve higher learning and not have to sit at a desk. Okay. That's a pretty good puzzle to solve. Right. So I'm still trying to figure that out, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But like, it was sort of an, in the meantime, I'm going to be an English major. Yeah. Because I'm good at this. And you like it. And I like it. Were you as good of a writer as you were a reader? I'm an okay writer. Yeah. Do you enjoy writing the same way? I enjoy writing copy. Yeah. That's good. You know, I don't necessarily, I write little stupid poems, you know, that are like, I don't know if you, we're friends on Facebook, Uh so I don't know if you see this, but every Friday I I post a Friday service poem. Do you really? I have to check that out then. Uh, It's usually in a haiku form. I like 757, right? Yep. Or 575, that's how I do it, yeah. And so it's usually that in that form and it's a way to sort of decompress from a 12-hour shift mm. and still be positive about the place where you work. Yeah, venting right? a little bit. But in a, that is a very constructive way because you've got parameters in the actual meter of right. <laughs> what you're trying to write. So there's the math for you. Right. It's creeping back in. Right. And ridiculous things happen at work all the time. I can't imagine. Well, so then it begs the question. Now now that we know that the, th- the thesis is, I want to go to college, but I don't want to sit at a desk. Not, right. that, not necessarily a desk in class, but I get it. Right. Corporate desk. How and when does this hospitality piece enter your life? When does this become maybe your calling? 
So when I was 19, I started working at this Middle Eastern restaurant. Uh, Birmingham has a lot of Mediterranean, Middle Eastern style restaurants, mm. like Euro yeah. kind of shops. And so I started working at this restaurant called Monier's. And, you know, like all through high school when I'm working at the movie theater, it's customer service based yes, for sure. sure. Right. But so now at Monier's, they're regulars and mm. it's a family. And I work for a family. It's not corporate. And you know the people who are going to come in. Yeah. And they're your friends. And they become your friends, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was working there. And then I started working. While I was still working there, I got a fine dining job as a WA because you couldn't, in Alabama, you couldn't wait tables at a place that served alcohol until you were 21. Ah, okay. So I worked there as a WA until I turned 21 and I could wait tables. Mm. And when I was doing that, you know, I was making more, I was making a living. Yeah. And it was fun and I was learning things because the restaurant where I worked, the fine dining restaurant where I worked was a French restaurant. Oh, plenty to learn, yeah. Wine list all French. Yeah. You know, mother sauces, yeah, all of it. And the people who owned that restaurant are amazing individuals, and they really wanted to teach people and wanted to teach me, and I wanted to learn all of the things. Like a student of life, yeah. I mean, I'm getting that right. The books help, the food helps, yeah, wine helps, yeah, for sure. When you talk about this customer service piece where you're going, yeah, corporate owns always different than doing a mom and pop. Did you, let's, you enjoy the learning piece about people too? Because in a for way, sure. yeah. Yeah, for you, sure. So you find the public doesn't bother you. In fact, you embrace them and all of their flaws and still try to enjoy them. I mean, I would lie if I said I enjoyed all of them. <laughs> well, right? that's impossible, yeah. But this is my favorite game. I'll, I'll paint you this tableau, yeah. right? So this is my favorite game to play. When I'm in a room full of people that I don't know. Okay. Like, say that we're at an event together. Sure. And we've sort of run out of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's a great game to play with people you don't really know that well. I either. might play this game. It sounds exciting right. already. So. so the object is to pick your favorite looking person in the room that you don't know. Okay. And you tell a story about them what you think their name is, oh, what you think they're due for a living, why they're at this event. Yeah. And it, you know, it can be rooted in fact. It can be rooted in fiction. Mm-hmm. Like matter. certainly if you're at a liquor event, some at some point it's going to be that like this guy didn't wander in off the street. Right, right. Right? Like he's at a liquor event because he was invited. Mm-hmm. So what do you think he does for a living? Yeah. Do well, you think, it narrows the scope of what right, you can talk about in right. a way. But it's also a great way to, for me, it's a great way to build my craft in the sense that I read people when they come into the bar Mm -hmm. and, you know, people go to bars because they want to be happy. They don't go to bars because they want to have a bad time. Right. Right. So it's my job to make them happy. And the better that you maybe can, uh, what's the word, profile them. Sure. In a sense, right? Not in a sure. bad way, in a good way. In you a good way. You try to make them happy. In a, in a way that I want them to be comfortable. Yeah. I want to be the third date. I don't want to be the first date. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, you know, you build a, a rapport, mm. and if you have a sense of things that they like, then you're already starting to build that rapport. Yeah. The same way that, People want to talk to me about my Instagram account. Yeah, yeah. Because they want to build that rapport and they want to already be on a familiar term with me. Right. Which is fun. Because they feel like they know you already. Right, you for sure. I mean? Which that's a dangerous thing. Like you said, kind of. Oh, for sure. It's like, wait, I, in error one time, I loved someone sent me an invitation to a wedding mm-hmm. and they did it in Metallic script. So okay. all with an ink and everything. Right. My name is, my name is Mike with the 
the Metallica. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. So I took a picture of it. Well, stupidly, I, I took a picture of the address that was, or the envelope that was addressed to me. Oh. So I gave out my home address. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. And I didn't even realize it. So right. sometimes there are these massive things that we're exposing about ourselves right. through social media that we inadvertently do. And it is kind of scary. And you, you know, you're what I would consider a decorated person in the industry, a spokesman for Alabama, and especially in the sure. booze world. And I mean, it's, it, you can accept it or not, but really there's a lot of stuff out there about you. So in a way, you got to be more careful. People don't care. There's not a lot of people that have high profiles, you know, or high vis- highly visible profiles, but I think you do. Does it ever make you kind of question or be reticent about what you're going to post? Uh, so I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday where we were talking about what people post on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I'm very honest with when I hire people and I say, okay, look, I'm a master of the internet. <laughs> There's not a thing that you've put on the internet that I can't find. Uh-huh. That's great. Right? So if you speak in a derogatory manner about another bar in our town about the bar where you work, I'm not going to hire you. Like, the, yeah. two, no yeah. two cents about it. And so we were having a conversation about someone who's in our industry that, you know, for lack of a better term, just gives zero fucks about or makes it appear that he gives zero fucks about what people think of him, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so he just posts things on the Internet that, I always say to people, you have to operate the internet like people don't have a sense of humor mm. because sarcasm doesn't translate. That's right. It's flat. Right. In text. And so he posts these things that I don't really know him that well, mm. right? So to me, it sounds self-serving and sanctimonious. Yes. I know of people that do this same right. thing. Yeah. Right. And... So I really have zero interest of ever being your friend. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, if I delve deeper into what he's also posted on the internet, we have similar interests. And I don't think that he's a stupid person by any means. Right. And probably the opposite. So smart to be able to do that and have a captive audience if I think we're going down the same path with who this person may in fact be. But, yeah, it's strange. Right. Disparity. So... You know, and, like, it's not on me to tell you that you're being self-serving. That's right. not that's not my job. Right, right. I don't police the Internet. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. So rather than engage, because I don't know him that well, mm-hmm. I just choose to disengage completely. Yeah. That's good. And that that is self-preservation for me. Yeah. Because I made a, a vow to myself several years ago that I'm not going to argue with people on the internet. It's pretty good. It, it's a noble. It does nothing. That's right. Yeah. Right? And if I want to waste my time, I've there are far better ways for me to waste my time mm. than to, for, to argue with someone on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. About it's how they effort, about how they don't like purple. Or, right. you know, whatever the fuck they're trying to say <laughs> is stupid that day. <laughs> Purple's great, by the way. I don't right. know what the hell the deal is with purple. Right. I think it's amazing. It's great. Um, so it's just like that kind of internet profile that I have to be okay with strangers wanting to talk to me about it. Yeah. Right? Because I put it out there. It's true. And it's public. Talking point at that point. Yeah. yeah. And it's public. I hate when people make their Instagram profile private. I don't even know why. why. It makes me crazy. Because I could share the pic. I it just makes me crazy. Yeah. Also, side note, you can make your profile private if you're hashtagging it. I can still find it. <laughs> exactly. Security or moves, man. you can block me, yeah. and if your profile's not private, I can still find your pictures. Yeah. People don't know. How do you think I do build the dossier for each of the guests on the show? The internet is a vast resource. Oh, yeah. And I can find out many different things. For sure. I found out a guest who signed a contract about an equity merger and like his shift in equity and, and I had a birthday and everything. Like, 
she asked me, how did you know how old I was? I go, I found the contract you signed. Like, does that make me a creep? Maybe. Or maybe is it just due diligence? To your it's, point. It's public on the internet. Yeah. If you're hiring someone that you know has a bad track record, it's a shame on you in a sense, right? Right. Putting them in front of your customers like that. Well, For sure. well, it's also, I don't know. Yeah. To your point, I don't know what you say to guess. Yeah. Exactly. So I can't. I can't trust that you're going to be a professional because you're certainly not a professional on the internet. Right. It, people are nothing but consistent. Right. Consistently assholes, consistently nice, whatever it may be. For sure. They're always consistent. Well, so there's a lot of facets to you, and I want to, because I know you got some great things to coordinate, which we'll talk about Tiki by the Sea here yeah. shortly. But how do you, what, when did booze become interesting to you? I know you have a certain level of sommelier certification for, mm-hmm. for wine, which that makes sense. You're in the French. Right. restaurant but for the booze piece like was it a romantic thing for you ever did you ever have a relationship was it with it was it something that your parents drank my parents never drank a lot when i was growing up mm. or like not memorably right, right right and so i started working at french restaurant and then that just sort of snowballed into now i'm in the restaurant business right right and always fine dining. I've always been in fine dining. And so I was working at this restaurant. And like you said, I am a psalm. Mm-hmm. And so I was working at the restaurant. And I became head waiter, which essentially is I'm managing the floor, mm-hmm. while also waiting tables. And I was managing the wine list. And so... The only way I was going to get a raise at this restaurant was that if I was also managing the bar. I see. Okay. Out of necessity in a way. Because the owner said, look, what's the point of us hiring someone to manage the bar when you do three-fourths of it already? Mm -hmm. Right? Because you do all the other booze except liquor. And so I started, and I had like, picked up a shift here or there. I had worked at a restaurant that didn't really have a bartender. And so I had some mechanics. Yeah. Right. So I started working behind this bar and didn't feel like I knew anything. So, and it was like 2007, working behind this bar. I don't really feel like I know anything, Mm. but I don't want to appear like I don't know anything. Right. Right. So I start reading about booze and I start watching videos on YouTube. Mm. And probably 2008, 2009 is when that was really, I was just like watching all these Chris McMillan videos. I don't know if you know who Chris McMillan is. No, I've heard the name, but. He's a bartender in New Orleans. That's like an old guard Mm -hmm. of the bartenders in New Orleans. And is a great teacher, right? And not everyone is a great teacher, right? So I didn't, you know, when I started waiting tables and I was WAing at this restaurant, this is like 98, 99, 2000. Different different deal altogether, yeah. I remember the first time someone ordered a Ramos Gin Fizz and the bartender and I were both like, we have zero idea what that is, (laughs) right? And this, I, she was 80 if she was a damn day old. Oh, that's amazing. She orders this Ramos Gen Fizz. And, you know, I'm 20. I don't know a thing about a thing. Yeah. And the bartender, who is one of these, like, I got this bar job because it pays for my music career mm-hmm. kind of dudes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's great. Uh, now he's a real estate agent. Side note. <laughs> and, Worked out okay. Right. <laughs> Uh, still plays music, though, so that's, that's good. good. So he's got the Mr. Boston book, mm-hmm. right? And he says, it says it has an egg white in it. And I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> and so then we're talking about it. And, you know, like Mr. Boston doesn't tell you that you should shake that cocktail right, right. twice or for X amount of minutes or anything, mm-hmm. right? It's just like recipe. So it was maybe the worst drink I'd ever tasted. Wow. And she obviously didn't care for it either. And so 
my thought was at least as long as I don't make anyone unhappy like that woman was unhappy about that Ramos. Yeah. Also, I need to perfect that cocktail. Right. Side note. Right. Side note. <laughs> um, then I'll be doing it. I'll be doing all right. Yeah. And so I started learning about booze and I already had a love of like cognacs and Armagnacs and all that, all that stuff. All that stuff from working at French restaurant. Yeah, because that's start. what that's what we drank as shift drink because yeah. the chef was French, and so he drank wine or he drank brandy spirit. Yeah, you know, grape based spirits or Calvados. And so when it was your birthday, he was going to share Calvados with you. That's amazing. Which is great. His favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I started doing booze. And then I was working at this restaurant. So I left and came back to the same restaurant. Because I left to to go manage another restaurant. Then I came back. And when I came back, I took over the bar. And that was 2010. And so that's when, in Birmingham especially, this whole... We want to make bartending... We want to legitimize it to ourselves, mm-hmm. not the like the public. Right, yeah. So the way that we're going to legitimize it to ourselves is to call you a mixologist. Ah, by title. Right. Yeah. Because if we just call you a bartender, then to us it's not a career. Mm. It's a that's a use of la- it's an interesting use of language that that's commonplace and everything right. politics and whatnot you right. know so if i give you a fancy title it's perceived upper step up in this right. social class where bartenders are people who pop beers yeah and i've never had a problem being a bartender that's that is my job that is what i do right. i tend a bar mm. i don't there are so many facets to that job and you as a layman don't need to understand it because it's not your job. Right. Like there are many facets to being a lawyer. That is not my job. Right. So I don't need to understand all of the facets of that job. Mm. I understand a vast majority of them. Yeah. But that's their that's their expertise. You'd be an right. expert at that. That's right. yeah. I'm not a doctor. Right. I mean I even know how a heart works. I can right. cut it open. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. Which is funny because I mean, you can go real deep in this industry though. It's like, oh, I'm pouring this thing. Right. Like, but I can go to where they make this thing and then where they grow this thing. And like, there's a, just a, a hell of a rabbit hole that you can get into. For sure. All that. But it, what again, what I would consider a decorated career behind the bar, you've recently shifted away from that into working and helping organize with Tiki by the Sea, right? I'm still bartending full time. Okay, you are still. So yeah. you're still doing both. Okay, good. And wanted more challenges, wanted more new experiences how did you get involved with tiki by the sea well i've been helping coordinate cocktail related events Mm -hmm. for several years 2012 ish on in various facets and i plan a lot of events Mm -hmm. i've planned events in birmingham for a long time i run a pop-up dinner series i've run for three years so not too foreign to you You know how to do it yeah so i know how to do events and i don't do you know pam wisnitzer i know of her i've not met her yeah pam is a good friend of mine and pam and pete nevangoski who is nate's partner at Mm -hmm. alpha are good friends and pete needed to hire a person to be the coordinator for tiki by the sea and so he and pam were talking about it and she recommended me to him okay so that's how i got that particular job yeah and, and tell me a little bit what this event t- entails i know you were talking about bayou rum is one of the sponsors right. jambui mm-hmm. a few others it's a multi-day cocktail festival, festival for all intents and purposes but we it's an invite only mm. and this year we did this is the third year so this year we did an application oh cool because the first year that Pete did it, 
It was just New York bartenders. Mm -hmm. And Pete's parents own a motel on the shore. Oh, cool. And so he really wanted to just like exemplify Wildwood and show people of New York that going to the shore isn't watching episodes of Jersey Shore. Right. Right. And Wildwood is an amazing place. And so that's how it started the first year. And then by the year, by last year, when I, by the time I was brought on, most of the attendees had already been chosen. Wow. Because it, so many people had reached out to him yeah. after year one and said, how do I get involved in this thing? And so, you know, my recommendation was if we want to broaden our scope to a national platform, mm -hmm. we should do an application. Perfect, yeah. And that's sort of based on my relationship with Lush Life mm -hmm. and the friendship I have with them and how successful I've seen them be with their application-based events. Yeah, I mean, it's improved year over year. Right. Just the process, the technology, all that. Right, they're great. Yeah. They do a great job. So we did an application base, and, you know, we had applications from all over the country and Canada. Wow. So it's been really great. And so we take 50 people. They all meet in New York, and then we take them all down to the shore, and we spend three days at the shore. Hmm. And there are nine seminars. So our event is a little bit different than other events because they are seminars and events, but everyone stays at the same place. I see. That's good. It makes sense. You have a more cohesive culture. Right. Because yeah. it's hard to, and it's sugarcane-based spirits, Excuse me, not exclusively rum, not exclusively cachaças. Right. Right. So because of that, we can't really go to a rum distillery unless you go to New England. Mm -hmm. And then those they don't have their own sugarcane fields. Right. So we teach seminars about it, and we bring people in who know a lot about rum and, or sugarcane-based spirits in yeah. general and, and tiki. So it's tiki-based. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> Especially as it is, to your point, getting to be the uh, July months. Yeah. Dog days of summer. And tiki's garnered a lot of resurgence in the last five oh, years. Oh, sure. Yeah, the fact that people even know what cachaça is now and use right. it in that kind of application is right. almost profound. Yeah, for sure. It's been a huge, huge change. Well, so I know you've got a call to talk about the future of this event, talk about some other great things going on there in New Jersey that are not Jersey Shore-ish, which is really good to hear, right. to be honest. That's, that's great. As a person from Texas, kind of how we interpret it sometimes. Right. But I know you got to head back to, to Alabama. You did the Negroni Week stuff here, helping bedazzle some bras, which, of course, I need to get more pictures of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good. It's just a crazy application of fashion. But so I've got one question I ask everybody. This will be my last question for you, because no. Okay. Get head out. I'm excited to ask you this. So let's say you're anywhere in the world. Okay. Drinking whatever you want. Okay. I'm there. You're there visualizing this. Mm -hmm. And you could have a conversation and share a drink with anybody living or deceased. Who would you love just to sit there and have a conversation with? I'm sure there are tons of people. Actual or fictional? Either way. Oh. Uh, okay. Well, I'm in Sapporo. And I'm drinking apple brandy because Nika makes apple brandy. They don't export. I, I saw that. Yeah, the 30 year. Yeah. That's crazy. So they're also making cider, which what? blows my mind really? and makes me very excited. Yeah, I want to taste it. So I'm definitely drinking apple brandy in Sapporo. I have a lot of questions for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could be basic and say Bukowski, right? Like, why are you such a poor, suffering bastard? Tell me your ways. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. It's a great question. Someone asked me the other day, if, you, if your table was six people yeah. and you invited six people to dinner, and I said, can it be Michelle Obama five six times time. over? You know, <laughs> yeah. like... I want to hear from someone who wants to make the world better yeah. and be gracious about it. 
and not be I'm on I'm out in public and I want you to know how much money I give to charity right yeah don't t- they don't talk about it they right. just do it they just do it true philanthropist yeah I want to have a conversation with that kind of person I don't know who that person is I can't even name somebody either yeah but I want to have a conversation with that kind of person because that's the kind of person I strive to be yeah like I want to make this world better for it yeah and be about it like if you're living your life if you're going to be about it be about it Mm. so apologetic right I mean you know everybody makes mistakes own what you own and just be about it Mm. so I don't know I don't know who I would I've had lots of conversations with lots of people that I admire well it works as long as you feel like you're being the person that you strive to be. Sounds like it. I'm working at it. Every day, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a... The only person that I need to answer to is me 10 years from now. Yeah. Right? And the only person that I need to make proud is me 10 years ago. Mm. Because that person, those two people have an expectation of what me right now is yeah so that that's the only person those are the only two people is me past and future that i feel like i have to answer to yeah i like it it's it's not a duality but a trinity in a sense (laughs) right there's three components of us yeah i'm just being jacob marley over here there you go i like it well it's been i mean you know, I'm guilty like anybody else. I know the Instagram. Yeah, I've seen for sure. The posts, you know, it's cool. I'm glad that people recognize you for that one piece of yeah. what is a very complex person. I mean, I've, I've been, it's been really a pleasure getting to dive into it and kind of like have unfettered access to the sense yeah, to just kind of sure. talk about things. Well, it's great to see you in town. I know you'll be back again and get some, got some good friends here in Austin. And uh, can't wait to see what's next. I'm going to keep staying tuned. Maybe I'll learn some more things about you, Steve. Thank you. Of course, it's my pleasure. Well, there we have it, Miss Steva Casey from Tiki by the Sea, a very well-versed, well-read, articulate speaker, charismatic. She phrases her sentences in such a lovely way, so sophisticated, much like the Brits themselves in many cases. It's great to know that she's been in this industry fighting hard for honesty, fighting hard for education, and so much more, really. So, Steve, thank you for taking that time out from bedazzling bras in Austin, Texas, to come down and speak with me. And thank you for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many Kurt Russell movies you're seeking to watch on Amazon Prime, if you're thinking, how can Silicon Valley get any better, please keep dancing.